I'll go ahead and introduce our speaker this morning, and he hardly needs an introduction to you because he's been here so many times now. But uh, for those of you who haven't met him, he's the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the former pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, which during his days was uh, probably the outstanding model church in the country for Baptist people at least. He's written numerous books. He's known as one of our best expository Bible preachers in the country today. And we're always thrilled and honored when he can be with us. His name is Dr. Jerry Vines. He now lives over in the Atlanta area. And I know that you've got your Bible ready and your heart's prepared and you're ready to be blessed by his ministry today. He will come and speak to you. But first, our choir's got a beautiful song for you.
because of that magnificent music this morning. Haven't you enjoyed all the special and the congregational and the orchestra and the choir? Uh, That's just fabulous. Uh, Why don't uh, I get a big bus and just take all you folks with me where I preach? Because to be perfectly honest with you, some places where I go uh, after the music, I feel more like crying than I do preaching. (laughs) But I feel like preaching today. Uh, Folks who have heard me preach say I ought to sing, and uh, folks who have heard me sing uh, say I ought to preach, and people who have heard me sing and preach say I should do neither, but it's obvious that you're used to good singing and you're used to good preaching as well. Uh, You know, uh, I'm glad to see that your pastor is in the will of God again this year, Uh, I I have told you that uh, the way to know he is in a backslidden condition is if I don't show up during the year. But if I come, he is in the will of God. Your pastor is one of the most delightful, uh, enjoyable uh, pastors it is my privilege to know and to associate with. And from time to time, I just have to get on the phone and call uh, Brother Monroe Uh, because he is such a wonderful man of God and has done such a tremendous job here. I I tell people all over the country, if you really want to see church uh, the way I think church ought to be, you ought to go to Florence Baptist Temple in Florence, South Carolina. And so it's a joy to get to be here uh, with you again today. It's a treat for me. I anticipated and look forward to it. Uh, every year as uh, your pastor graciously invites me to come. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Psalms, and I'm going to read one of the Psalms for you in just a moment as you will follow along in your Bible. I have been doing some studies in the book of Psalms. I have preached uh, from various Psalms through the years of my ministry. And of course, you know that uh, the Psalms uh, uh, is, uh, the, was the hymn book of the Jewish people, It is a book of praises, uh, just as the marvelous music has prepared our hearts uh, to praise the Lord this morning. And uh, as you read through these these psalms, you will discover that uh, the the, the psalms have to do with the human emotions. They have to do with the experiences that you and I have in life. And they play on uh, every string uh, on the keyboard of human emotions. I read at least one psalm every day. If you read one psalm a day, that means you can easily go through the entire 150 psalms two times a year. And uh, I would encourage you to begin to study in the psalms. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the service this morning. But uh, this morning and then again tonight, we're going to look at one of the psalms. And this morning, I want to read for you a Psalm 84. And so you be turning to Psalm 84, and would you stand while you're turning, and uh, let me read these verses. Would you stand now, and let me read Psalm 84, beginning with verse 1. Psalm 84, beginning with verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. 
they will be still praising thee, Selah. And the word Selah there is a musical notation. It was a pause musically, and it gave people an opportunity to reflect upon what had just been said. And so uh, John Phillips, the great Bible teacher, said you could translate Selah there. What do you think of that? Now verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also fills the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, there. What do you think of that? Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Thank you, and you may be seated, and may God bless the reading of his precious, inerrant word this morning. Uh, To my mind, Psalm 84 is the most moving expression in all of the Bible of the importance of the house of God to the people of God. If you put on your New Testament glasses and read this psalm, what you will see here is why it is important that every born-again believer have a church, have a place where they are a part of a church. Now, of course, you know, when you study the Bible about the church, sometimes when you read about the church in your Bible, it makes reference to what some have referred to as the universal invisible church. I've never been especially fond of referring to the church as the invisible church. Somebody said, well, what's the invisible church? And one old wag said, well, that's what meets on Wednesday night. Well, that's not true here at Florence Baptist Temple. But I think it is true that some of the passages about the church in the Bible have to do with the universal church, the building of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. You see, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, on the basis of the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus, you become a part of the church of the Lord. And the church of the Lord, that universal church, the body of Christ, will gather together as a body one of these days when the Lord descends from heaven and we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So if you are saved, if you are born again, washed in the blood of Christ, you are a member of that universal church. But you will also find when you read your New Testament and study about the local church, about the church, that sometimes reference is made to the local, the visible church. Many of the letters in your New Testament were composed by Paul to local churches. The book of Romans was written to the church at Rome. The book of Philippians was written to the believers at Philippi. If you had gone there, you could have found an identifiable, local, visible congregation. I think it is important that when people are saved, they become a part of a local, visible congregation. I'm aware of the fact that there are many inconsistencies in local churches today. I was a pastor of Baptist churches for 50 years, and I will assure you that I am aware of the inconsistencies of many local churches. 
In some places, there is a disturbing liberalism. There is a stifling formalism. There is a confusing extremism. In other places, there is an appalling worldliness. There is a a chilling coldness. There is a, a deadening deadness. But I'm also thankful to say to you that all over this country, there are local congregations like Florence Baptist Temple where Jesus is exalted, where the Bible is proclaimed, where people are being won to faith in Christ, and where God's people are growing and maturing in their faith. And I think it is important that you have a local church. Now, the majority of you are members of Florence Baptist Temple. Others of you have been visiting, you've been attending here, and uh, you are considering, you are thinking about becoming a member of uh, uh, this particular local congregation. Well, what I want to do in this psalm today, uh, I want to just show you why you need to be a part of a local church. Now, there's some people who believe that Psalm 84 is a pilgrim psalm that it was sung by one of the pilgrims who is going up to Jerusalem for a festival day. And he is going up in the spirit of Psalm 122.1. Do you remember Psalm 122.1? When I was in Sunday school, we were taught to sing a little song around the words of Psalm 122.1. You remember this? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'll sing tonight if you would like for me to, Brother brother Jim. But, but uh, he is going up glad to go up to the house of God. There are others who believe that it is a shut-in psalm, that this is a psalm composed by some believer who has been incapacitated for a period of time, now having recovered, is able to go once again to the house of God. Uh, you know, I think sometimes that, that those of us who are part of a real good church, uh, if we're not careful, we can take that for granted. Uh, Brother Monroe, I think sometimes it might do folks uh, in a church like yours uh, to be sentenced to, uh, given a six-month sentence in a dead church somewhere, and when they came back, they would be more grateful. And so let me just show you now from Psalm 84 the importance of a local church in your life. Now, I want to call your attention in the first two verses to what I'm going to uh, call uh, a believer longing for God's house. Did you see the intense desire and longing? Look, for instance, in verse 2, my soul longeth. See that word? Uh, The Hebrew word there means to be pale. Yea, even fainteth. The Hebrew word for fainteth there, it means to be exhausted. It is a picture of intense desire. It is a picture of great anticipation. It is a picture of excitement. Here is a believer, and he is longing, she is longing to go to God's house. Now, why is there such longing here? I think there are a couple of reasons. Uh, I think one of the reasons is because God's house is such a lovely place. Now, look at verse 1. Do you see that word amiable? I'm reading from the King James Version. Uh, Amiable, how amiable uh, are thy tabernacles, O Lord? Uh, most of the translations translate that word amiable, loving, uh, or lo- lovely. How lovely uh, is your house, O God. And of course, if you know anything about the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple in Jerusalem, you know that they were beautiful, beautiful buildings, gorgeous buildings where people worshiped God. Uh, I personally think it is important 
that, that God's house be a lovely place. Uh, I was telling your pastor, when I uh, go into churches, I can walk into a building, and, and in five minutes, I can tell you what the people who worship there think about God. If I walk in the building and it is shabby and run down and, and not well kept, it makes a statement about the people who worship in that building. But if I come into a building like this right here, uh, did you know this is one of the most attractive, inviting buildings uh, there is anywhere in this country? And it is so well appointed, it is so well cared for, it is so clean, it is so uh, well prepared. It, it makes a statement about you. It says something about how you feel about the God you come to worship in this building. Well, how important it is to have a lovely place to worship the Lord. Uh, when I was pastor down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, we built an auditorium uh, to seat uh, 10,000 people. Warren Wears became one time. He said you had to go through t- three time zones from one side of the building to the other. And uh, that building cost us $18 million. Now, I know that's not a lot of money for you rich folks up here in South Carolina, but, but that was a lot of money uh, uh, to us, $18 million. And uh, we got a, a great deal of criticism about building that building. There were letters to the editors, and there were people on the radio who complained how awful it was that we were spending $18 million to build a building. At the same time, they were remodeling the Jaguar football stadium there in Jacksonville. Now, if you don't know what the Jaguar football stadium is, that's where 22 men in need of rest are being watched by 70,000 people in need of exercise. (laughs) That's what it is. And uh, they were spending just to remodel $120 million. I never read one word of criticism. I never heard one complaint on a radio program. Somehow it was all right to spend millions and millions to build a place where football is played, and yet somehow it wasn't right to build a place where people came to worship the God of the universe. I heard about a building committee, Brother Monroe, one time that came to the church and said, we have a four-fold recommendation. Recommendation number one, that we build a new building. Number two, that we build the new building on the site of the old building. Number three, that we use the materials of the old building to build the new building. And number four, that we use the old building until the new building is completed. (laughs) Sound like a Baptist building committee to me. It really did. Uh, And so God's house, would you agree with me this morning that God's house ought to be a lovely place? It certainly should. Uh, That particular word, though, is uh, also translated in some Old Testament passages as uh, loving. How loving is your house, O God. And and, uh, if you take that translation, uh, what it is saying is is, is that, that God's house is a loving place. Not only beautiful, but beloved. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love my church. Uh, My wife, Janet, and I are members at First Baptist Church of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, They have a young preacher there named Stanley. We're trying to help get started off in the ministry there. And he said, I know you can't be there much, but as long as you send your tithe, everything will be fine. And and so uh, uh, I've never understood, I love my church. And you love your church. I've never understood people who, who criticize their own church. One pastor said, Brother Jones, would you stand and lead us in a word of criticism? I, I don't understand people like that. 
I heard about a man who checked himself in to a monastery where you were allowed to speak only two words a year. And so at the end of the first year, he came into the abbot and he said, a food bad. And he went back. And one year later, he came in to see the abbot again and he said, I'm cold. And he went back. And the third year, he came into the abbot and he said, I quit. And the abbot said, well, it's just as well. You ain't been, hadn't done nothing since you've been here but criticize. I don't understand folks who criticize their own church. I love my church. You love your church. Uh, this is my church. For her, my tears shall fall. Uh, for her, my prayers ascend. Uh, to her, my toils and cares be given till cares and toils shall end. Uh, God's house. We should love God's house. And, and it should be a place where love is. Uh, this world is looking for love. Uh, uh, you remember the old uh, country song, looking for love in all the wrong places? Looking for love in all the wrong faces? It's true, isn't it? People are desperately trying to find love. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, in a place where, oh, what a Savior is sung, and where Jesus is preached, and where Jesus is exalted, and Jesus is loved, this old love-starved world can come and they can find a love and a meaning and fulfillment in life. And so we long for God's house because it is such a lovely, loving place. But now notice also he longs for God's house because it is such a living place. Uh, look at verse 2. He talks about the courts of the Lord and he talks about crying out for the living God. Uh, when I saw that word, courts of the Lord, it reminded me of what happens in Florence Baptist Temple on a Sunday morning. Uh, it is a picture of activity, people milling around, uh, people moving up and down the hallways, in and out of the classrooms. Uh, you see, you, you will meet living people when you come to God's house. Uh, I think about people who think they are really living, and, and you listen to their conversations in the bars and in the lounges of our land and you hear their empty, futile conversations, you hear their hollow laughter. But when you come to God's house, you find people who are alive in Jesus. They have discovered what life is really all about. They have been made alive through a new birth experience with Jesus Christ. Uh, the most living people I've ever met, I met in church. Uh, I, I had Sunday school teachers. I had one teacher made one statement, and it changed my life forever. My best friends through the years have been deacons in the fellowship of my church. Uh, I met my wife in church. Hey, kids, church is a good place to meet your mate. Did you know that? I met my wife. Now, I was at a little country church down in Carroll County, Georgia. I'm sure all of you are well acquainted with it. It was Bethesda Baptist Church. In fact, the old people called it Bethursday Baptist Church. And they used to say, let's go down to old Bethursday and listen to that boy preacher. That used to make me so mad. That boy preacher. I said, I'm the pastor of a Baptist church. What do they mean, that boy preacher? Now, if people want to call me a boy preacher today, it doesn't bother me uh, as bad as it used to. And it was, a, you know, it was a homecoming Sunday. Now, buddy, uh, you know, homecoming Sunday was a big deal in the country down there in Georgia. And I was preparing me a message. Man, I had a message up. It was going to be Pentecost number two. I mean, grown men were going to cry. Women were going to faint. They were going to throw babies up to the uh, loft of the building. I mean, it was going to be some sermon. 
I was preaching on climbing Jacob's ladder, and I was climbing up that ladder, and the door opened up, and in walked the most gorgeous blonde girl I'd ever seen in all of my life. And I fell off the ladder. (laughs) And now, 54 years later, I hadn't been back on Jacob's ladder. I met my life, my wife, in church. Did you know you can meet the living God in church? Are you aware of the fact that Jesus said one time where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst? You know what that verse means? That means that Jesus is in this very place this morning. That means that he walks up and down these aisles. He moves in and out of these pews. You can meet Jesus and have an experience with the living God in this place this morning. That's why you need a church. You need to come to a place that is a loving place, that is a living place. Now, track with me. I want you to move number two. Here is a believer living in God's house. You saw that, didn't you, in verse four? Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. What he means here is, blessed are those who build their life in and around the fellowship of a local church. The wisest decision you will ever make in all of your life is determined that you will build your life and the life of your family around the fellowship of a church just like Florence Baptist Church. And there are a couple of reasons you would be wise to do that. One is you would be wise to do it for parental reasons. How many parents do I have in the building today? If you're a parent, would you raise your hand? I I thought a number of you looked haggard and worn out this morning. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he he does this. He he shows the importance of of having a church for your your family uh, for parental reasons in a very interesting way. Uh, you did see the birds in that chapter, didn't you, in that psalm? You, did you, see, you saw them, didn't you, uh, in, uh, in verse 3? Do you see the sparrow there uh, twitting around? Uh, do you see the, the swallow there flittering through the passage? The Bible has a lot to say about birds. Did you know that? In fact, Jesus one time talked about the birds. Jesus said you can buy two birds for a farthing. We call it a penny. You can buy two birds for a penny. And he said, if you see one of those birds fall into the ground, that bird did not fall apart from the gaze of the heavenly father. And then he said, you're worth more than the birds. And then over in Luke chapter 12, Jesus ups the ante a little bit. He said in that chapter, he said, you can get five birds for two pennies. Do you get it? If you buy five birds, that means you can get two for a penny, two for a penny, and we'll just throw one in. And then Jesus said, every time you see a little dead bird, you have just missed God. God has been there to conduct the funeral. I used to hear that great black singer on the Billy Graham crusade sing, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. Isn't it good to know his eyes on us, that we're valuable to God? But he uses the, 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 the picture of birds here in a rather interesting way. Here's the swallow, and here's the, the sparrow. And, and what do you know about birds? Well, I don't know a lot about birds, but I'll tell you one thing I know about birds. Birds are not known for their massive brain power. Birds have tiny brains. 
brains, bird brains. <laughs> In fact, where I come from, if you wanted to get up a rumble, just call somebody a bird brain. Here are little tiny birds, but now watch. Little birds with tiny brains have enough brain power to know that the wisest and the safest place to bring up their little ones is in the altars of the Lord. And yet, did you know what? There are businessmen in Florence, South Carolina, who have enough brain power to run million-dollar corporations for the devil, and yet they don't have enough intelligence to bring up their sons and daughters in the house of the Lord. I, I, you know, I've got four children. I have seven grandchildren. I know that shocks you. I know you think I'm not old enough to have grandchildren, but I do. I've got seven grandchildren. And I look out at the world that uh, you parents are bringing up your boys and girls uh, in today. And I, I don't know how you're going to make it without a church. You, you need some help. You need the youth programs that Florence Baptist Temple provides. You need the opportunities that your local church gives you so that your children can be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Florence Baptist Temple, mom, dad, is committed to assist you in helping you bring up sons and daughters who love the Lord with strong convictions and who will live their life for Christ in the kind of world in which we live. You need a church for parental reasons. What was that you said? Did you hear the man over there, Brother Monroe, right over there? Did you hear what he said? Well, here, here's, what, here's what he said. He's sitting right over here. He said, well, said, preacher, you can talk about bringing your children to church all you want. But now I'm going to tell you, I am not going to force my kids to go to church. He said it right over there. I ain't going to make my kids go to church because if my kids, if I force them to go to church, when they grow up, It'll turn them against church, and they won't ever come back to church anymore. Now, I will admit, in the years of my ministry, I have run into a few 30-year-olds 30 30 still in their emotional diapers who say, I don't go to church because mom and daddy made me go to church when I was a little boy. I've met a few of them. Do any of you have any boys 10, 11 years old? And, you know, in the summertime, they get out here in the, in the hot sun and, and in the dirt and they're rolling around in the dirt and they got their clothes all dirty and got grass stains all over them and they come in the house smelling like a Georgia mule, you know, and, and it's supper time. Now, now, whatever you do, don't make that little feller take a shower and especially don't make him use soap with that shower. If you make him take a shower with soap, he will grow up to have a terminal case of B.O. <laughs> oh, come on. Give me a break. Give me a break. Bringing your children to church is not what turns them against church. It's when mom and daddy act one way at church and another way at home. That's what turns them against church. Can I have an amen right there? Be a good amen. All right. So... Now, I know I'm, I'm digging a little deep here this morning, but, but you need a church for parental reasons. But, friend, you need a church for personal reasons, for your own sake. 
Do you see what he says here in verse 5? Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also fills with pools. Down there in Georgia, one hot summer day, two boys were chopping out in the field, and they stopped to take a break. And about that time, a jet airplane flew over, and one of them said, Woo, I sure would hate to be up yonder in that plane. And the other one said, Woo, I sure would hate to be up yonder without it. (laughs) Now, friend, the kind of world we live in, just for your own sake, you need a church. Because, you see, sooner or later, what the psalmist experiences in verse 6 will be your experience. Who passing through the valley of Baca. The word Baca there could be translated, the Hebrew translation is balsam tree or mulberry tree. And uh, they, they tell me that those trees uh, in the springtime when the sap would rise in the tree, they would then ooze out of the tree and they would drip down the sides of the tree and it looked like tears flowing. And so there are some who translate this, who passing through the valley of weeping, who passing through the valley of tears. Uh, now you sit here this morning, you, you've got it all together. Your work's going good, family's doing fine, got enough money to pay your bills and take some good vacations. And you just kind of got it all together. Everything is going good. Listen to me. If you live long enough, Sooner or later, you're going to experience a valley of tears. It comes to every life sooner or later. In fact, I may be talking to somebody here this week, and the tears flowed this week. Anybody here, you shed some tears this week? Maybe it was the... Words of a trusted friend, and those words crushed your heart and caused an eruption of tears in your eyes. Maybe it's the lifestyle of a wayward son and daughter, and you cried yourself to sleep with hot tears on your pillow. Maybe you lost a sweet friend or a loved one this week, and tears of grief chase one another down your cheeks. Sooner or later, we all go through that valley of tears. Oh, by the way, just in passing, could I point out to you, though, he said, who passing through the valley. You know what that says? I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I'm here to tell you, whatever you're going through, God says you're going to pass through it. You're going to make it. You're going to be all right. I'm going to help you. You're going to make it. But now notice what he says. This is so unique. Who passing through the valley of tears, make it a well. Let me read you an interesting paraphrase to that statement. When you walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of springs where pools of blessing and refreshment collect after the rains. Do you know what the Psalms really are? The Psalms are just really valleys of tears that psalmists went through. And when they went through those experiences, they digged a well. 
so that some other weary pilgrim coming along could draw refreshment from it. Listen, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know the heartache that may be yours. I don't know what problem is besetting you today, but I will assure you that there is somebody in the fellowship of Florence Baptist Temple who has already had that experience. And in that experience, they have learned to dig a well so that you can come along after them and draw refreshment. You know, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, you might just want to jot it down and read it later, but let me just read it to you. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. And at the end of verse 3, it says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us, now watch, who comforts us in our tri- all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Do you see what he's saying? When we go through any trouble, dig a well. And somebody coming along after you will draw comfort from your experience in the Lord. That's why you need a church. You know, we, we're, we're consumed today, aren't we, by the consumer mentality. What do I get? What's the return on my investment? We are consumers. And if we're not careful, we can get into that at church. Well, what'd you get out of church today? Well, I didn't get nothing out of church. The choir's flat today, and the preacher didn't do so good today. I didn't get nothing out of it. Well, I, I think it's important to get something out of church. But dear one, I think it is not only important to get something out of church, but I think it's important to give something in church. It's important not only to get a blessing, it's important to be a blessing. Look around for someone you may be able to help. Look around to give encouragement to somebody who's going through a a tough time. That's why you need a church, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others you can bless and help. All right, now watch. Are you with me? Now, here, here's the way I, I preach. I preach till I get hungry. And then when I get hungry, I quit. So now, don't you get hungry before I get hungry, all right? Here is a believer longing for church. Here is a believer living in God's house. But number three, here is a believer learning at God's house. There are some things you can learn. There are some lessons you can learn in God's house. You won't learn anywhere else. It may be something your Sunday school teacher says. It may be a song that is sung by your musicians. It may be something your pastor says. One Sunday down at uh, Jacksonville, I was standing there at the door greeting people, and a lady came by and said, oh, pastor, Every sermon you preach is better than the next one. <laughs> You'll get it. It's early in the morning. <laughs> one lady wrote the pastor. She said, dear pastor, your sermons have been such a blessing to my husband since he lost his mind. Could I, could I just quickly hit on some things that you'll learn at church? Uh, at, at church, you will learn the secret of strength. 
Look at what he says in verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Uh, they, they say probably this was a reference to fortresses along the, the, the routes to Jerusalem that provided protection for the saints of God. They went from protection to protection, from fortress to fortress, from strength to strength. You know, I used to think when I was a young uh, preacher, I, I used to think that life would get simpler the older you, you got. But you know what I'm discovering? I'm discovering that life gets more complex and perplexing the older you get. Billy Graham uh, said one time, he said, uh, whosoever called the, the old age the golden years didn't know what he was talking about. You got new pains every morning, something you didn't know hurting you. Life gets more complex as you go along the way. And, and you see, you need the strength of the Lord for all of these experiences through the various stages of life. I love that memorizing a scripture every month. I like that. I don't know if you've put this one up, but, but let me give you this one to memorize as well. It's one of the great verses in the Bible, Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the Hebrew word, for renew here could be translated exchange. You, you see, we need strength for those growing years when you mount up with wings as eagles, but my little puny strength, I, I can't handle it. And so God says here, let me have your little puny strength. I'll give you my mighty strength. And when he gives you his strength, you can mount up with wings as eagles in those growing years of life. And, and then you come to those working years of your life. And you say, Lord, I, I, I'm weary. I'm driving the kids to everywhere and I'm meeting quotas. And Lord, I, I ain't got enough strength to make it in the working years. And God said, here, let me have your little puny strength. I'll give you my mighty strength. And they shall run and not be weary. And then you come to those declining years of life. And you say, Lord, I, I don't know if I can make it to the end. The Lord says, here, give me your little old puny strength. I'll give you my mighty strength. And when he does, they shall walk and not be weary. And you know what? You learn about that at church. So we learn the lesson of uh, the secret of our strength. We learn the lesson also of the sweetness of service. Now watch this. Did you notice under the Psalms that many times they have a little superscription? Sometimes it will give you the author of the psalm. In this particular one, it says it was sent to the minister of music, the chief musician, Brother Jim, over here. This was written for you. Upon Giddeth, that was kind of a little stringed instrument probably. And then it says a psalm for the sons of Korah. There's probably some old boy on the way to church today said to his family, said, you know, said, uh, I've been wondering who the sons of Korah were. I, I hope that visiting preacher talks about it this morning. Well, you're in luck. I want to talk about the sons of Korah. Korah, you know, he's the guy who rebelled against Moses in the Old Testament. 
And uh, the Lord said, now everybody that's on Korah's side, you go over here to the tents of Korah. And so all of those that were on Korah's side, they got over there and they were standing at the door at the tent flaps of the sons of Korah. And then everybody that's on the Lord's side, you stand over here with Moses and, and you read it in number 16 and you'll see what happened. And from that day forward, the sons of Korah became doorkeepers or gatekeepers for the house of God. So here is a song written for the sons of Korah and uh, they sing, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. What he's saying is, I'd rather spend one day in service in the house of the Lord than a thousand days anywhere else. And then he said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wicked. You know what he's learned? He's learned the sweetness of service. I'm fixing to make a statement. I've been making it now for a number of years. Uh, I'm not saying it flippantly. I'm saying it from the top of my head and the bottom of my heart. I have come to the settled conclusion. I had rather sweep floors in my church for Jesus than to run the biggest corporation in America for the devil. You'll never regret serving Jesus. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You see, that's why you need a church. You need to plug in and, and, and find some place of service. Maybe it's to be an usher. Be an usher. Uh, maybe it's to be in the choir. Be in the choir. Maybe it's to teach boys and girls. Maybe it's to teach young people. Maybe it's to be a part of the visitation ministry. Maybe it's to work with shut-ins. Find some place of service, and when you do, you will connect yourself with the God who is the God of a thousand days better than a day anywhere else. And you will determine when you do that your life has meaning and purpose, and you'll come to the end of it. And 1 John 2, 17 says, the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abideth forever. Here's the last thing. In the house of God at church, you will learn the source of your supply. Now watch, here's, here's how he does it. In verse 11, he says, the Lord will give grace and glory. Now latch on to those two words. Hold on to those two words just a moment. The Lord will give grace and glory. Those two words are, are two of the greatest words in the Bible. I have spent most of the years of my ministry, really, studying those words of grace almost 100 times in the New Testament, glory uh, almost 400 times in the whole Bible. I, I still don't know a whole lot about grace and glory. I heard about a guy jumped out of the airplane, and he pulled the ripcord, and it didn't work, and he was hurtling to the ground below, and as he was hurtling to the ground below, a guy came passing, going up. And the guy going down said, hey, do you know anything about a parachute? And the other said, no, do you know anything about a gas stove? <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about grace and glory. I'll tell you what I do know, though. Grace is the word that tells us how the Christian life begins. For by grace are you saved through faith. Glory is the word that describes how the Christian life ends. The Lord will give grace and glory. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me into glory. Grace is the root. Glory is the fruit. Grace and glory 
the two arms of God's warm embrace of the soul. So you see, those are the two biggies, grace and glory. Now notice what he says. The Lord will give grace and glory. Then notice what he says. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What he's saying is, if you've got the biggies, everything in between is a piece of cake. It's Romans 8, 32. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him give us all things? What it means is, is God will supply your needs, whether they be physical, whether they be financial, whether they be social, whether they be uh, professional, whether they be vocational, uh, whether they be emotional. God will provide every need of your life. And you'll learn that at church. Well, the last verse, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And the word trusteth literally means to fall on your face before. It's a picture of the salvation experience. Blessed is the man who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and yields his life in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus. You see, church doesn't save you, but church is a real good place to get saved. I came to Christ when I was a nine-year-old boy in a Sunday night sitting on the second row. The preacher preached. I went forward. I gave my hand to the preacher. I gave my heart to Jesus. I met Jesus in church. And most of you have received Christ as your personal Savior, and you have trusted in the Lord But there are others of you in this place this morning, and you can meet Jesus and come to know him in a personal way in this church. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. was taking a trip on a plane the other day just a wishing that I could get out when the man next to me saw the book in my hand and asked me what it was about so I settled back in my seat a bestseller I said a history a mystery in one then I opened up the book and began to read of Matthew Mark Luke and John He was born of a virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. Angels gathered round him underneath the stars singing praises to the great I Am. He walked on the water, healed the lame, and made the blind to see again. And for the first time here on earth, we learned that God could be a friend. And though he never ever did a single thing wrong, the angry crowd chose him. And then he walked down the road and died on the cross. And that was the end of the beginning. That's not a new book. That's a Bible, he said. And I've heard it all before. I've tried religion. It's shame and guilt. And I don't need it anymore. It's superstition made up tales Just to help the weak to survive Let me read it again, I said And listen closely This is gonna change your life He was born of a 
virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. Angels gathered round him underneath the stars, singing praises to the great I Am. He walked on the water, healed the lame, and made the blind to see again. And for the first time here on earth, we learned that God could be a friend. And though he never ever did a single thing wrong, the angry crowd chose him. And then he walked on the road and died on the cross, and that was the end of the beginning. of the beginning he said with a smile what more could there be he's dead you said they hung him and put nails in his hands and a crown of thorns on his head I said I'll read it again and this time there's more I believe that this is true his death wasn't the end but the beginning of life that's completed in you don't you see he did all this for you the little town of Bethlehem. Angels singing round him underneath the stars, singing praises to the great I Am. He walked on the water, healed the lame, and made the blind to see. Don't you know that God could be a friend? And though he never ever did a single thing wrong, he was the one the crowd chose. And then he walked, and he died. Three days later, three days later, three days later, he rose. Three days later, he Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Baptist Temple Hour. If you would like a copy of today's program, send your request in payment to the Florence Baptist Temple, P.O. Box 12809, Florence, South Carolina, 29504. Be sure to include today's date and the title of today's message. And please allow two to three weeks for delivery. For more information about the Florence Baptist Temple, visit our website at www. .fbt.org. We also want to extend to you an invitation to join us in person. Sunday school starts every week at 9 a.m. and the service begins immediately following at 10.30. Once again, the church family at the Florence Baptist Temple wants to thank you for tuning in this week and we hope to see you next week for another edition of the Baptist Temple Hour.